I'm Chris. Good to see you. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy Juneteenth. Um, before we open the Bible today, I just want to say, uh, if you're a, a dad in this room, we, we honor you. We pray that you uh, would move closer to your kids today. Um, we also know that on a day like today, a lot of us, as we look out in the room, you know, you've lost your parents or maybe don't enjoy the kind of relationship with them that you, you had hoped for. And so today can be a kind of complicated day, a hard day sometimes. I, I, I know some of you probably have stood um, at the greeting card uh, aisle and thought like, what, what are the words, you know, for me to be able to say? And um, so I just want to say today, like if this is complex or, or hard for you in, in any way, we, we stand with you. Um, if you uh, enjoy a relationship, a good relationship with your dad, my dad is um, on, online watching today. Dad, I love you. Um, this mustache is for you. It's my childhood, um, and I'm thankful to be your son. Uh, if, if, you, if you are in a, a place of joy and connection with your kids or, or with your dad, if you're uh, here today thinking about him, we just want to stand with you and honor you and, and thank God for that. Uh, I know for me, on, on a personal level, when Karen and I were, were raising our kids, uh, we, we taught them that there are a few really important phrases that you should learn how to say from your heart and that these uh, things, if they get into the groundwater of your soul, will make you into the kind of person who you, you want to be. And those phrases were, um, please, thank you, I'm sorry, and I don't know. And I think too often... Uh, as parents, and specifically speaking to you dads in the room, uh, we forget the advice we give to our own kids. And so today, I just want to say to you dads, um, I believe the Lord would be pleased, no matter how old or young your kids are, if you would cultivate a rhythm and a habit of saying, please, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, and I don't know. Uh, we give a gift to our kids when we're willing to be both loving and transparent in humility. And my prayer for you is that you would grow, dads, uh, that you would grow into being the men God has called you to be. And there are no perfect dads, uh, but we can move toward God and toward our kids, and that's a gift. Uh, and it's never too late to make that move. Joel prayed about it, and it was so, so beautiful. Uh, in 1865, uh, slaves in Galveston, Texan, Texas, were told that they had been made free, and they did not know at the time that they were free men and women. And today on Juneteenth, which was made a national holiday last year, we uh, celebrate with joy in our hearts uh, the freedom um, from slavery of black men and women in this country. And we also acknowledge that um, many white Christians uh, not only stood on the side of slavery, but propagated slavery. Uh, there uh, is a Christian leader from this state who was uh, one of our founding fathers who uh, stood in the halls of Congress and said, um, if we have slaves, they are a captive audience for us to evangelize. There is so much darkness that lived in the hearts of the church regarding slavery, and there are so many spaces where the American church stood on the wrong side of justice and righteousness in history. And so as we celebrate Juneteenth, we grieve and repent for the sins of our fathers. And I just want to say to you, white and black alike, people of color, 
in this room that we have so much more work to do. Uh, We have so much more work to do to see true freedom from bondage happen for our brothers and sisters, specifically people of color in this country. So let's celebrate and let's acknowledge there is uh, work to do. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 8. We get to talk about demons and naked people today, which I think is awesome. Um, I I can't think of a more uh, interesting thing to do at church on Father's Day. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 8, beginning in verse 26. Uh, We're going to read and then pray, and then we're going to try to see uh, something in the text today that may not be easy for us to see. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him for a long time. He had worn no clothes, for he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Then Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for we are many, many demons had entered into him. And they begged him not to order them back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herders saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And then the people came out to see what had happened. And when they came out to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them for they were seized with great fear. So he got in a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray today that you would help us to see Jesus and help us to see us. We pray, God, that you would help us to peel back um, superstition or uninformed thinking about what evil means, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be uh, grown up and nuanced in our understanding of our own state and more clear, Jesus, about your heart for all of us. We thank you for the Bible, but more importantly, God, we thank you for these moments that have been captured that are true and real and powerful and have something to say to us. Help us to hear today what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today I'm going to invite you to do something really, really difficult. I'm going to invite you to identify with the demoniac. And a lot of us, when we read a story like this, we just think like, nope, not going to go there. Thank God I'm not like that dude. 
I want to ask you today to, to be bold. I want to ask you today to open up your mind to understand something about what Jesus believed and believes and what Christians have always believed. I also want to ask you to open up your mind to your own need, whether or not you, I'm looking out, everybody's wearing clothes, no naked people in church today. Uh, I don't see any chains hanging off anyone. So um, if you don't feel like you can like get with this guy, I want to ask you to move toward an understanding of identification with this guy. Here's the way I'm learning to read the Bible. The way that I'm learning to read the Bible, and one of my seminary professors at, at Asbury wrote a book about the Bible, Ben Witherington, I, I love him so much, he's so smart. He said that one of the problems in America, specifically the West, is that we tend to try to stand over the text and read the Bible to understand it and really like parse it out. And sometimes it's almost like a, a butterfly collector that like pins the butterfly to the board, you know, and thinks I'm gonna know all of it. And there's a place for that. He said, but what we have to learn how to do devotionally speaking is to let the Bible read us, to come under the text rather than stand over it, to, to submit and surrender. So here's one of the ways that I'm letting the Bible read me. Every time I read a passage, a story, I seek to identify with the most needy and desperate and broken person in the text. And, and you don't always identify across the board, but in my own life, what it's done is it's put me more in touch with my need and more in touch with the disposition of God to move toward my need to speak truth to me. So in an unambiguous way, the most needy, desperate person in this text is the naked demon guy. So I want you to be brave enough in the next few moments to find parts of his story matching some of your story. And it's my job to be able to walk you through the text so that you can find some sense of resonance, okay? By doing this, you're not admitting to being demon-possessed. I just want you to step back from that. I want you to recognize that there's a sense in which we're being invited to say, how do I see myself here? Before I go on into the text and march you through the text, I do want to say this. I believe, as does Jesus Christ in personal creative demonic evil. I do not believe that evil is just the good intentions of humans or politicians gone wrong. That's true. People, politicians, and others do, in fact, do bad things sometimes just because they get a little off track. I also believe in creative evil. Christians throughout the centuries, the millennia, including Jesus Christ, believe that we have an adversary. We also have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, but to believe in no adversity and no creative devil or adversary is to be naive, I believe, to much of what happens to the children of God. Now, many of us imagine when we think of the devil of a little fella with red tights and horns and a pitchfork, and we think, I can't believe in that. And because we can't believe in that silly little impish figure, we then sometimes don't believe in or make enough room for the devil of hell. I want to say to you that God's not asking you to become paranoid or superstitious. He's not asking you to become primitive or naive. What he is asking you to do is to make room for the fact that you and me, that we are opposed in our life 
to try to live the peaceful, shalom-filled, hope-filled call of God, that there is an enemy, an adversary. The more we're able to account for that and to begin to notice the things that do come into the story that are demonic, that are born of an adversary, an enemy, I believe the more wise we will be to our own story and the more aware we'll be of the thing Jesus has come to do in the first place. Now, I will also say this. Many of us, probably all of us, read a story like this and we say, wasn't this guy just struggling or suffering with some form of mental illness or mental malady? And we wonder, like, did Jesus just not know what we know now about um, disorders or diseases? Here's what I also want to say. I believe that mental illness is real and that medicine is a beautiful and powerful thing to help us. I also advocate for depression and anxiety. Um, Medicine can be a wonderful tool to balance our system. At the same time, I believe that there's evil. And I believe that we have to make room for both and not barter in kind of an either or situation. Some Christians just think everything's the devil and you don't have to worry about taking care of your body, your mind, your chemistry. And then others just believe in that and don't make room over here. I believe that what we have to do when we come to a text like this is say, God, help us to make room for and learn some stuff that is fundamental, I believe, to understanding how we're made and how God interacts with us. So I I could say way more about those things, but I'm just going to trust that you're hearing my heart, that you're hearing that we're not superstitious and weird around here. We care a lot about thinking deep thoughts. And I think that part of thinking deep thoughts is being honest with the fact that we have an enemy and an adversary. All right, let's look at the text. Number one, this man is suffering under oppression. Jesus sees it as being born of evil. And there are three markers in this text that give you a hint that there is some form of demonic oppression going on. He has lost his connection to the world around him. He no longer lives among the living. He lives among the dead. He has lost his dignity. He's lost his literal sense of covering. He's lost it. He is now naked among the dead. And finally, he's lost restraint and a sense of boundary. I would submit to you that all of us at certain junctures as we live our lives experience some of this. A sense of loss, a sense of boundary blurring, a sense of restraint and compulsion maybe that keeps us from living within the boundaries that God has for us. We also know people who experience these things. My heart in this is to help us recognize that when Jesus sees these things, He sees that the enemy is trying to alienate, undermine, and to oppress. That word oppression, when you look at the the Hebrew Bible, uh, there's a text that says that the Jews were living under the oppression of Egypt. And the word in the Hebrew language means literally to push down, to press down, to crush. Jesus sees this man and he says he's being crushed by his adversary. So what I want to say to you is when we experience these things, they are at times driven by circumstance. And yet at the same time, Jesus believes that when we experience these sorts of things in our life in pervasive ways, that it's an indicator that we're experiencing some resistance or oppression from the enemy of our souls. 
It doesn't mean you're possessed by the devil, but it does mean sometimes that we're being harassed or uh, harangued by the enemy. If that's where you are today, I just want to say this to you. We want to stand with you and pray with you. We want to be the kinds of people, your friends need to be the kinds of people who stand with you and ask for the protection and the power and the life of God to chase away darkness. So let's, let's hold these ideas. A loss of connection, a loss of dignity, a loss of boundary and restraint. These things are indicative of oppression. And we're called as Christians to pray when we experience oppression and to receive prayer. At the end of the first service, I had a number of people come up to me and they said, you've put your finger on something that I've been feeling and I just want you to pray for me. And then we just say, come Holy Spirit and set us free and push darkness back. So if that's where you are, I believe that it's really important for us to recognize that you have an enemy. Here's the second thing we see in this text. Even in that desperate state, Jesus is moving toward this man. Jesus gets out of the boat in the area of death and loss and isolation. He now enters the man's space. And I believe that as Christians, it is really important for us to recognize that when we get into places where we're suffering, whether you think you're clear about demons or not, maybe some of what I'm saying there, you're like, what? When we get into dark places, Jesus moves toward us. This is fundamental to Christian spirituality. Many of us have grown up in families or homes where when we get into a dark place, people that we love move away from us. Some of you have received that message from your childhood. You've, you've, you've been taught like, fake it, you know, put a happy face on because people can't handle darkness. They can't handle suffering. They can't handle pain. It's really important for us to understand that Jesus's instinctual disposition is to move toward us in our pain, not away from us. That's just who he is. It's who I am to get off track. It's who Jesus is to move toward us when we get off track. That's the heart, the instinct of God. And it's so important for us to recognize that Jesus enters into this man's space. And that leads us to the third thing I think we need to see here, which is that he is not just entering into his space to be a therapist. And I love therapists. I'm gonna go see my therapist this week in the middle of the week. Um, he's the best. Uh, I think at various times we all need to be going to see a therapist because, you know, you keep doing the same thing you're doing, you're going to get the same result. Sometimes we need help. Jesus in this moment is not coming as a therapist. He's coming as a liberator, though. There's something way more bold and even aggressive that Jesus is doing here. And we need to understand that there are times in life where Jesus wants to approach us as a liberator, as a freeing person, like those soldiers that turned up in Galveston and looked at these black slaves and said, you are no longer slaves. Jesus wants to come to you and speak a word to you that says you are no longer slaves. That is the heartbeat of God. Freedom lives at the core of what it means to interact with Jesus. He wants to set you free. And he looked at this man who had lost restraint, who had lost connection, who had seen his dignity diminish, who was boundaryless. And he said, I want to bring you into a place of freedom. When you are in similar spaces, the heart of Jesus is to say, I want to make you free. That's what he wants to do. But here's what I'm learning in my own life. If I will not name the places where I am not free, it is very difficult 
for me to invite Jesus into those places and have real and honest interactions with him about the places where I'm not free. You need to know, and you need to sometimes say it out loud to him and to trusted people. Do you know the places where you are less than free? Do you know and will you name to God and others the places where you have lost some connection, you have lost some dignity, places where you have lost some boundary or restraint? Jesus wants us to name those places so that he can come in and bring freedom to real places. But the challenge that many of us experience is that we live in states of denial around our need. Because we think that if we admit our need, we're admitting that we're, that we're broken or that we're ruined. Or we, we fear that if we admit our need, that the people in our lives will move back from us. They won't know how to handle us. And y'all, the truth of the matter is that, that, that actually happens sometimes. Some of the people in your life can't handle the need, the brokenness, the, the sin. They, they can't handle the places of oppression. Th- those are just facts. But what we see in a text like this is Jesus can handle it. And Jesus wants to move us to freedom. He wants you to become a more and more redeemed version of yourself. He wants to heal you so that you become less legion-like, less cut off. But here's what I also know, and this is the last thing I'm going to tell you, is that freedom is expensive. Legion totally understandably wanted to go with Jesus. I mean, like Jesus did a great thing for him, but Legion was also like looking to get out of town. I mean, he's the naked guy. He was the, the crazy guy, the broken guy, the scary guy. And he wanted to leave and, and he wanted to get out of town. Um, I think because he, he did love Jesus and felt like, but he also wanted to like get a fresh start. Everybody understands like his instinct here. And the most expensive thing that happened here was Jesus said, I want you to stay home and I want you to live in this in-between place as you are working out the change that I've made for you with people who already think they know you. It was expensive. It was costly. So expensive that his instinct, his understandable instinct was like, I was anywhere but here. About halfway through my time away when I was gone uh, for four months over the last year, uh, I, I came very close to quitting Trinity. I, I just, I wanted, I wanted anywhere but to come back here. Um, and in retrospect, I can now see that so much of it was because I was holding the same place that Legion was holding. I was thinking, how do I come back and be a redeemed, healed version of myself that is also a work in progress in front of a thousand people who saw me disappear and like think they, you know, what happened to that guy? And I guarantee you it was always a little bit weird for Legion. I mean, we don't even know his name for, for this dude's name. Like, you know, he goes to dinner, he takes his jacket off. They're like, oh God, he's getting naked again. You know, I mean, it was probably, he always probably made people feel a little bit uncomfortable because they knew They knew him at his worst, and now he wasn't at his worst, but people remember. They remember the places where you weren't like you ought to be. And Jesus looked at him and said, I want you to stay here, and I want you to live in the in-between place, and I want you to trust me and not everything around you to orient and anchor you. And so 
this guy who used to be legion had to learn how to like live with it feeling a little weird. And some of you, it's weird in your marriage. Some of you, it's weird in your relationship with your kids or with your parents. And what we want so desperately is to just get out of weird places and go somewhere else where we aren't known. But that's not the way the world works. That's not the way redemptive stories typically work. They work when you've got to live in the awkward in between. They work when you've got to figure out how to let Jesus meet you and have people not always believe the best about you. Are you up for that? That's, what, that's where this guy becomes a teacher to me. So rather than distance myself from the man formerly known as Legion, I get to see the invitation to go, he stayed. Like he, he worked through weirdness. So where is the weirdness in your own life that God's asking you to work through? Where is he asking you to name your vulnerability, your less than free places and let him meet you and then stick around even when it feels a little bit awkward? It could be with the person sitting next to you. We just want to run. God knows. He understands that. But if we stay, then we get to be right-sized humans. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to defend our turf. I mean, I can imagine this guy got to a point where he was like, yeah, that was tough. But I'm moving in this direction. And I believe that that's the very thing Jesus has come to do. Some of you are smaller than you ought to be, and some of you are bigger than you ought to be. Jesus wants you to be the right-sized version of yourself. Legion, the formerly known as Legion man, became a right-sized version of himself because Jesus put him there, and he wants to do the same thing for you. We're going to be quiet for a few moments, and let's put this question up. Where are you less than free I want us to take just a few moments of silence to to consider that question. Where am I less than free? And I want you to name it in your own heart as specifically as you can. And I want you to imagine Jesus getting out of a boat and moving toward you in that place to liberate you and heal you. But first, you've got to name it. So after a couple of moments of silence, I'm going to pray. We'll come to communion, but, but let's just do some contemplation right now for a few moments.
if we're able to do so, let's stand together.